0: May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In our Gospel lesson this morning, we find Jesus meandering around the far north of Israel, sort of close close to the source of the Jordan River. He's traveling with his disciples and he asks them two questions. The first of which is, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has identified himself with this title. So in effect, what he is saying, what do all of these people who are following me, who are coming for miracles, who are coming to listen, what are they saying about me? who do they say that I am? And the disciples tell him that people say that he's one of the great prophets returned to them. John the Baptist, Elijah, who the book of Malachi prophesied would return one day, Jeremiah, or some other great prophet. And then Jesus asks them a second question, and it's this question that really rings loudly in my ears this morning. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter promptly responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus praises Peter, telling him that he got it right, and blesses him for his insightful answer, But I wonder how much clarity do we actually receive from this answer? How is our understanding of Jesus deepened by these titles? Three archaic titles, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, or more commonly, the Son of God. The first title that is used, the Son of Man, is perhaps the most enigmatic of the three. Scholars, 2,000 years later, have still not yet arrived at a consensus as to the actual meaning of this title. There have been several different thoughts throughout Christianity. In early Christianity, this title was thought to just denote a human being, that a son of man, a son of Adam, was, was just a human being. But... Over time, different understandings arose, especially around the time of the Protestant Reformation. It's almost 1,500 years after Jesus's life. One of those understandings is that this title is actually placing an emphasis on Jesus's human nature, that the title Son of Man is contrasting Jesus's human nature with his divine nature, and it's emphasizing his solidarity with humanity. Another understanding of this title is that it's a messianic title, that that it's sort of a a title that that was used to talk about somebody who would come and bring salvation. A third thinking about this title is that it's an idiomatic expression we have lost the meaning of. That everybody in Jesus's day would have known exactly what the Son of Man meant. Um, But today, we've lost that exact meaning, and perhaps one of these understandings is the right one, or perhaps it's some combination, or the truth lies in between all of these. The second title, Messiah, is the one we use most frequently. In the Greek, um, this word is Christos, from which we derive the English word Christ, Christos Christ. In both the Greek and the Hebrew, this title means the Anointed One. So when we say Jesus Christ, what we are actually saying is Jesus, the Anointed One. Christ isn't some last name of Jesus, but it's actually that title, Messiah. The Anointed One, the one set apart to lead. In the Hebrew scriptures, we hear about The kings of Israel being anointed with oil. And still to this day, the monarch of the United Kingdom in the ceremony, in the coronation ceremony, is anointed with oil. And this title, Messiah, has more meanings. A a promised leader who would come and save the people. The third title, Son of God, which is used frequently in combination with Jesus, somehow emphasizes Jesus' connection with the divine. In Jewish tradition, this title was used to mark someone with a special relationship with God. Somebody who God spoke to and they heard and they acted on what God said to them. In Christianity, we talk about all of humanity being children of God. That you and I are sons and daughters and children of God but I don't think it's exactly that that this title is referring to. This, this title for Jesus is somehow more than just that. If we take the interpretation of the Son of Man as emphasizing Jesus' humanity, when we combine it with this title, we can deduce that they highlight the two natures of Jesus, the human and the divine. However, These explanations of these titles don't tell me exactly who Jesus is. Sure, if someone asked me, who do you say that Jesus is, I could very easily respond with these three titles. I could say Jesus is the Son of Man, Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the Son of the Living God. But these titles only have meaning for me in their relationship to Jesus. I only know these titles in conjunction with Jesus, not on their own. Even if these titles are used to refer to someone else, Jesus is still in the background. My connection of these titles with Jesus is coloring how I understand them being used for different people and in different contexts. So as as descriptors of Jesus, they fall short. Because today, their only meaning is in and around Jesus, so in a way, it's like me saying, well, Jesus is Jesus. Two thousand years ago, these titles would have had meaning in and of themselves. When they were used, they would have brought up images, associations, and previous knowledge. Just by the, the saying of the title, people would have an understanding already, but So much of that understanding is limited by time and space. Take, for example, a title that's common today, the title of CEO. When I say CEO, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Perhaps the words chief executive officer come into your head. Or perhaps you have an image of someone who is a CEO, someone you worked for. Or maybe you yourself are or were a CEO. When we hear CEO, we tend to think about power and wealth and probably intelligence and business acumen. But if we went back even just 150 years ago, if we describe somebody as a CEO, no images or thoughts would arise. It wouldn't be a helpful descriptor. All they would think of, oh, this person is a CEO, so that's what a CEO means. And I feel sort of like that with these titles of Jesus. I want to know more, and I'm left with Jesus loudly saying, but who do you say that I am? I think that in many ways, this question is sort of the heart of the Christian journey the discovery of who Jesus is. Because it's not like we just discover once when we're five years old exactly who Jesus is, and that remains our understanding throughout time. Faith, belief, and love are living things. They grow, they accompany us, they're shaped by who we are and what life, where life brings us. We don't just reach an understanding and it remains static, for life. Even the idea that we can arrive at some universal understanding for all time is suspect. In the first half of the 20th century, the philosopher Martin Heidegger came up with the idea of the hermeneutic circle. Hermeneutics is just the study of how we interpret things, how we make meaning and understand things. And perhaps previously the the, the idea of how we understand is that We're here, sort of an impartial, partial observer, and the object or the text or the thing that we're studying is over here, and we can just look, and if we think hard enough, and if we know hard enough, we can figure out the meaning of that text or object for all times, and there's one true meaning. And Heidegger comes along and he says, no, that's actually not right, because you're forgetting half of the equation. When we come into understanding It's us and the object. And the way that we understand the object is shaped by who we are, by our education, by where we were born, by our socioeconomic status, by all of the things that we have experienced in life. That shapes how we understand the thing that we are studying. And so we bring ourselves into the understanding process. But as we understand this object, as we understand this text... We ourselves grow and we are changed through this object and this text. So then when we go and we go to study it again, we ourselves are a different person. We understand it at a deeper level, which in turn changes us. And it's this circle of understanding that is never completed. And we continually try to understand things deeper as we understand ourselves and our world more deeply. Perhaps if we considered an example of this, is there a book or a poem that you have read many times in your life? For me, the easiest thing to go to is the Chronicles of Narnia. I remember my father reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my sister and myself when we were little children. And then about every two or three years, I have reread the Chronicles of Narnia and each time they have a different meaning for me, each time they still speak to me, but in different ways. I notice different things, different themes come out, different nuances, different allegories speak to me when I'm at different times in my life. Or we could think about our relationships, our relationships with our spouses or family members or close friends. Do you always understand that other person? Do they ever do something that surprises you or shocks you or doesn't make sense to you? The people that we know the best are sometimes still a mystery to us. Do you have the same exact relationship with that person as you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 or 40 or did your understanding of each other deepen and change over time? The more we experience as individuals or we experience together, the better we're able to understand each other, or the more differently that we understand each other. We are growing and living things as human beings, and our relationships grow and change. And I think this is this, that this is also true for our relationship with Jesus. Everything we experience offers us a deeper relationship with Jesus. Our better understanding of ourselves and the world that we live in gives us a better understanding of Jesus. It's a continual circle of understanding, of making meaning that never ends. We keep coming back to Jesus as changed people, And as we meet Jesus, we are transformed ourselves so that when we come back again, we understand differently. When we experience extreme pain, perhaps we understand the suffering of the cross differently. When we live through a momentous, joyful occasion, something we've planned months for and then comes down to a couple hours like a graduation or a wedding or some other moment in our lives, perhaps that moment allows us to understand the joy of the transfiguration on the mountaintop a little bit better. Or when we lose someone we love, perhaps then we can live deeper into the promise of new life Found in the resurrection. As we grow, our relationship with and our understanding of Jesus should grow too. We shouldn't have the same understanding as we did when we were five years old. You see, I don't think it's so important to come up with an immutable answer to Jesus's question, but who do you say that I am? Rather, that meaning is found in the continual asking of the question. Let's look back to our gospel story. Even though Peter gave a quick and good answer, he didn't fully understand who Jesus was. And we can see this as we live, read through the rest of the gospel of Matthew. His relationship with Jesus changes over time. It's not about knowledge. It's not about knowing the correct words, the right thing to say. It's about faith and growth and love. I urge you to join me this week. I urge you to join me this morning in really hearing this question of Jesus, of coming back to it again and again, of bringing our full selves To this question, to the divine throne, to hearing, but who do you say that I am? Amen.